Welcome to another episode of the Reboot Chronicles, a no-holds-barred forum with global leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and CEOs about how organizations stay focused on growth and innovation in unprecedented times. I'm your host, Dean Tobias, coming to you live from Revive's North American headquarters in Chicago, and we would like to thank you for joining us from around the globe today. I'd like to welcome futurist, marketing guru, and best-selling author, Sergio Zeman. He was appointed the first chief marketing officer at Coca-Cola, and he completely rebooted Coke's marketing strategy and boosted worldwide, worldwide annual sales from nine to 15 billion cases. That is a lot of Coke. Um, probably the most explosive growth in the company's history. He also went on to launch Diet Coke and Cherry Coke and the disastrous New Coke, which we'll talk about. The uh, Time Magazine named him one of the top three pitchmen of the 20th century, after which he then pronounced that marketing is dead. Uh, not sure about that, but we'll find out. Uh, Sergio, you were involved in what some consider to be one of the biggest epic marketing failures, I think on the planet, maybe um, maybe, maybe even maybe in the universe, but the introduction of uh, you know, New Coke, which, uh, which flopped kind of like the Ford Edsel. So, i uh, love to start on that because it's kind of um, a, a badge of honor for you in one way. I, I personally, I always thought that maybe you guys just should have made that another flavor because um, it was just altering the original of, um, you know, uh, taste of Coke. Now companies are going out of their way to create all different types of uh, different types of flavors and brands and new blends and, you know, just flavoring water or just water I mean, paying billions of dollars to acquire water companies. So I don't know. My, that's just my thoughts, but maybe maybe you guys wanted that controversy. Maybe it was part of your marketing strategy to get people to kind of pledge their allegiance to uh, to Coke and uh, probably expensive loyalty program, I guess. But um, so we'd love to start with that. Maybe just to tell us kind of what happened. What's the story there? Well, you made the decision that it was an incredible failure. Yeah, uh, I did. And, uh, you know, uh, and then I guess that the press and the pundits all made the decision was an incredible failure. Right. By the way, the stock doubled uh, in the 77 days that new Coke was in the market. Um, and I remember, I remember uh, that. And by the way, um, you know, when, uh, when we launched uh, new Coke, three days later, 81% of the people said they had tried it and hated it. We only had 5% distribution. When we brought back Classic 77 days later, mm -hmm. we didn't have any distribution. And 80% of people said, oh, my God, it's back, okay? Right. Um, the real strategy or the real issue behind, uh, behind New Coke, which continues to be uh, kind of thrown around as the biggest failure in the history of mankind, uh, is that, you know, the company was not a marketing company. And I guess in many ways, the company stopped being a marketing company even today. Uh, and the company was pretty much a very much, a company, a belonging company. You know, it was kind of, you had to belong and kind of not make too many waves. And, and definitely, it kept on growing. Definitely a club, I remember that. It was a very yes. different culture. And it kept on, yeah, and it kept on growing through distribution. So, so it was blinded really by visible demand, okay? In the sense that you kept on growing and everybody believed that it was all the same thing. When Pepsi, who became the marketing director for Coke, launched the Pepsi Generation, saying that, Coke, that Pepsi was for younger people and Coke was for older people, what mm -hmm. it did is it created awareness and, and it created 
uh, noise around Coke and the volume went up and the company still didn't want it to change. The reality and to cut to the chase is that the positioning of the brand was wrong. Everybody wanted to just kind of say that Coke was the original and everything was fine and all that. But there were some underlying positioning issues and a lot of people were coming in and challenging um, uh, you know, Coke. Uh, and you know, we tried to change a lot of things, but the advertising agency who was incredibly powerful inside the company lobbied constantly about changing the position. They wanted to, they wanted to continue to promote the brand versus promoting people buying this stuff. Exactly. And, uh, you know, eventually we ended up in the thing that said the only thing that we can do is if indeed people are choosing Coke over Pepsi, the formula guy said, oh, we can make a better product. Then we launched a product and then you know what happened. There right. was one reporter that will never disclose who he was who asked Goizueta at the press conference, what if it doesn't work? And Goizueta said, oh, you don't understand the will. And that guy is the guy that started the title book. So at the end of the day, the brand was retooled. Uh, everything came back to, uh, uh, to the company having a real good positioning on the brand. And it, it came, gave a lot of father to the press and a lot of people to say that this was the greatest failure uh, ever that ever happened. And it was. Yeah, and, and they even like gave it an action word. You, you, you knew coked it, you, you coked it, you blew it. Um, and there's been plenty of, you know, I teach entrepreneurship and innovation at Kellogg School and I, I give out tons of examples of epic failures or epic tries is what I try to call them, um, including United Airlines, which branched out into something called Allegis and just massive epic failure. And the CEO was probably way too gung-ho about it. You know, back then, if I walked down the grocery aisle when you were CMO, we'll get into CMO roles here in a minute. Um, there was like a little section of soda pop, as they used to call it, in the aisle. Now I walk down the aisle at any major supermarket from Walmart down to the local guys and but mostly the big, you know, the big retailers. It's not just one entire aisle. It's both sides of the aisle. There are so many brands and so many different things that um, so it's and back, you know, back then there was like a couple. So you guys started with Diet Coke. I remember the big Pepsi wars and and the uh, you know the Coke Pepsi wars. Billions of dollars of advertising spent. We'll get to that in a second. But it's just overwhelming now when you try to go to a store and select something to drink. Um, well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing because I mean there is science behind a lot of this stuff, mm -hmm. right? And if you actually, I believe that marketing is scientific. I don't think that it's artistic. And, uh, you know, what we discovered when I went back to Coke after, I mean, new, I mean, new Coke was 85. I left the company in 88 because I just got tired of pushing water uphill. And then the company called me back in 93 to come back. And I became the first ever chief marketing officer of any company. And right. at the time, uh, you know, what we, I mean, my point of view was that you had to deal, brands deal with acceptability, availability, and affordability. Three A's. And if you look at Starbucks in New York City, the more stores that they open, I mean, nothing. They didn't cannibalize anything. Uh, and the reason for that is because they had tremendous acceptability. The reason you, have, you see more and more product in stores is you're trying to create points of interruption. You're trying to actually put the brand in front of the consumer and trigger this impulse buying. Uh, Walmart is the king of it, right? I mean, they have all this impulse buying. I don't know what the numbers are today, 
But in my days, uh, I think over 60% of all purchases at Walmart were imports. Yeah, I'm, uh, a, uh, I'm a victim of that too. Yeah, so basically in the stores, the reason why, now you can go to Buffalo, New York, and you're mm-hmm. not going to see uh, a lot of distribution on Coke because the product is not acceptable. Or you can go to Houston and you can put all the Pepsi in the world that you, that you want and consumers are not interested. So in Houston, where Coke has dominance, uh, you know, availability doesn't work. In Buffalo, where Coke is very weak, uh, accept availability doesn't work. So it's, it's all part of a strategy, you know, that, uh, that basically tries to get consumers to buy more stuff. Remember, yeah. for me, marketing is about selling more stuff to more people more often for more money, more efficiency. That's what marketing is. Right. Some people have lost uh, track of that, but we have moved from the age of what you said when, when, when the chairman said, Hey, please come back to, to Coke. I'll make you chief marketing officer, the first one in the world. Uh, not just for the company, but for, uh, it was like, Hey, that position, the, the, the marketing guy, as I used to call it needs to be elevated. But before that, it was like, there was the head of advertising and the head of R and D and they tended to run a lot of these co- you know, company cultures that was, just like we got to make a product and we're going to sell the sell the heck out of it online. Excuse me, and uh, I'm sorry, uh, in store. And now it's now I see a lot of that same behavior, even though it's scientific and we have a lot of data. Um, I still see a lot of companies doing that. It's like let's come up with something, and it's getting so easy to market and try and fail things online. Um, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, well, when I went back, back when I went to interrupt to interview with the chairman, he yeah. said to me. I want you to come back to the company. And I said, to do what, sir? He said, you know, be the marketing guy. I said, I don't understand what you mean. And he got a little upset at me. And he said, what do you mean? You know, the marketing thing. I said, what is the marketing thing, Roberto? Uh, And I said, you know what? Um, Let me tell you what I like to do. I like to go away and write that document that I will give to you that basically says, I want to be in charge of growth. And he said, oh, my God, you want to have everybody report to you? I said, I don't want anybody to report to you. I just want to make sure that my charter is how do we generate growth? Uh, and, you know, and then I said, and by the way, in order to be able to do that, I need to be on the C-suite. And he gave me the title of chief marketing officer, which allowed me to then start driving a lot more. If we want to spend money, we're going to have to make money. You said before uh, that, you know, half of the advertising doesn't work. I think 90% of the advertising doesn't work. Why do people advertise on Super Bowl or some of the other times? I, I did a lot of analysis when I had my consulting firm. Uh, and, you know, uh, many times that advertising just doesn't work. It makes people feel good. But I think that advertising needs to convince people about why they should buy more or use more of the stuff that either they're using or buying or that they're not using or buying. I remember it's always more efficient to get somebody who's already consuming your brand, I don't care what brand it is, to consume more of it than try to convince somebody who doesn't consume your your brand to switch. Yeah, that's kind of getting into the weeds. Acquisition versus retention, loyalty, marketing, which is which is which is huge. You know, we kind of touched on the roles. Let's just go back to that for a second. Right now. Um, at least in the States, I don't know what the global stats are right now, but the tenure of a chief marketing officer and the tenure of a chief innovation officer are pretty much at an all-time low, under two years, if that. A um, lot of pressure on those jobs, a lot of pressure for growth. There's, there's often a chief growth officer, but they're really more on the sales kind of side of things. So 
What what's some of your advice for these uh, folks that are taking on these 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 pretty heavy roles that have a high growth uh, uh, expectation to it? They can't keep doing what they used to do that got them to that job, can they? Well, I just don't think that the definition of the job uh, is clear. So people get all excited about the title. You know, when I went back to Coke. I kept on saying to people, so what do you do? And they'll say, I'm director of the blah, 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 blah. I said, no, no, I'm saying, what do you do every day? Okay. Uh, so I think that when, when somebody calls me up, when I, I mean, I'm, when I was consulting, I will always turn around to the marketing person and I would say, so what do you do? I said, well, I'm the senior vice president of a chief marketer. What, what do you do? And people cannot articulate what it is that they do. If somebody called you up and said, I want you to be chief marketing officer, chief strategy officer, chief whatever it is, figure out what it is that you're trying to do. Where are you trying to get to? Look, let's take it into the dumb side, okay? You go to the airport, uh, you go to the counter and say, I'd like to have a ticket. That very uncooperative person is gonna say to you, where do you wanna go? And if you don't tell her or him where you wanna go, they cannot sell you a ticket. I think in business, it's the same kind of thing. Tell me what you want me to get done. What is the task at hand? And I think that if they did that, then the tenure will be a lot longer. But unfortunately, two things. They're not well prepared because they come, many of them come from the ad business and their job, I mean, basically they're judged on how pretty the commercial is or which director you use. Uh, And the other stuff is a grind. I mean, when you, look, I've been to 123 countries around the world when I was chief marketing officer at Coke, I was on the road 200 days a year because I would go to the market and I would sit with the guys. We hired 2,000 marketing people around the world to replace the people that had an avocation for marketing, you know? Uh, and then, you know, then things changed. That's where we went from $9 billion, $9 billion case a year to $15 billion case a year. And by the way, the stack quadrupled in those four years. So I, my advice is, Define whether you're giving the charter or if you're actually giving the task and people are going to support you to actually be the person that is actually driving growth, driving and that, you know, advertising and all that is fine. Those are the tools. But if you don't have a clear view of where you're going, you can't get there. Right. In your books, you talk about how marketing and advertising are dead, and it's it's more about science than art, though it's probably both. Um, you know, I was uh, CEO of TNS Media, which um, sold to WPP, and the reason they wanted that is all the old advertising um, platforms were not very well measured. And this was all about digital measurement of advertising, know exactly where to spend your money, and there has never been an easier time um, with exceptions of you know the overwhelming amount of data, but if you can figure it out, there's never been an easier time to, you know, as we say, target audiences. Not a very affectionate term, but it's really what you're doing. But I still see companies uh, blasting stuff out that's not that scientific. But let's just stick with the digital marketing thread. Things like personalization, what Revive does, things like um, actually engaging and, and developing more loyal uh, customers is your point, like getting more business out of them. Seems like it's easier and easier. What kind of, what kind of advice do you give to uh, CMOs for uh, really enhancing their digital, um, not just their digital reach, but their, their platforms and how they actually communicate tar- with target audiences and get more people to engage with them, first of all, and, and then hopefully buy as well? Well, I mean, let's talk about who is, in my opinion, the best marketing company in the world today, which is Amazon. You know, yep. Amazon basically 
tells me what to do because they keep on giving me uh, avenues for me to consume more products. And then they study what it is that I did. And then they come back and they sell me more of the stuff that I want to buy. And, you know, eventually they're getting now more and more quietly into, uh, into private label because they're coming to me and they're saying, by the way, you bought, you know, ever ready batteries the other day, I can sell you Amazon batteries 30% cheaper and I'll put you on a subscription. And I'll give you the stuff. Um, I think that you got to look all of these things. I mean, I, I, I love how people, I mean, this is what I call the Willie Nelson strategy, looking for <laughs> love in all the wrong places, right? Uh, you know, you're, I mean, I think, I think that digital, digital is great. Okay. I thought that was, but I thought that was Wailing Jennings, but okay. Well, fine. But he sang the song. Uh, and, you know, I mean, the reality of the thing is all of these are tools to actually enhance your ability to convince people to buy more of your stuff. Right. And, but you got to look at it holistically that way, you know, versus thinking that, oh my God, you know, we got to be on Facebook, we got to be on this, we got to be on that. Because many times you're on that, but you don't have a strategy behind it. So I think that now we're giving more and more tools to connect with consumers. And if you actually look at it and you say, look, here's how we have to connect with consumers. I think that you have the ability to do better. I mean, I'll I, I give you one example um, of something that I kind of remember. You were sitting around one day going through these horrific uh, annual reviews that we used to do with everybody from around the world. Mm -hmm. And the guys from Indonesia walk in and say, we're going to be down next year. And I went, no, we're not going to be down. That down is not in the cards. They said, well, what we have is we have the lunar year. We have two Ramadans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and during Ramadan, people don't eat at all, you know, for, I guess, 40 days or 40 some days. And now we have two of them. I said, but wait a minute. I understand that people actually eat once they break the fast. He said, yeah, but that's at night. I said, well, change your strategy. Why don't you go try to figure out how you can market during the night? Why don't you change how you can deliver product during the night, deliver strategies with it, we flatten the curve. Uh, and then we went to all the Muslim countries around the world that actually were doing that. And that created a lot of growth, but you gotta challenge those things. You gotta look at those by looking at the facts and looking at the reasons why people do what they do and try to figure out whether they actually change them. Right, um, so let's go back to your example, Amazon. Um, I talk about Amazon a lot, specifically how they use different technologies to target people, but it's, but it's an algorithmic um, approach, not very personalized, not very genuine, but very good. And they make it very easy for people to buy stuff. That's one of the issues small retailers have, and even some of the big ones that are still trying to catch up, even like Walmart, it's like Amazon just makes it too easy. You can trip over yourself and order something at the same time. Correct. So but let's flip that and look at someone like an Ulta Beauty, where it's like, no, we're doing just the opposite. It is a personalized experience, whether it's online or whether it's in-store, we're going to talk to you, we're going to get to know you. Of course, they have a more focused product line, but they actually are you know, getting broader and broader. So talk to me about... Um, Kind of like the, the the different side to that, you know. How well, can how can retail? I guess the question is, how can retailers fight back to Amazon? That's number one. And number two, personalization, both online and in store. How do you how do you win that battle? By the way, I think that's a fabulous example of what you just said. You described, you know, the old thing uh, like an Amazon thing, because you're saying that they're actually connecting the consumers and they're saying to consumers, "We know what your pain is, and we're going to fix your pain." 
but we're going to make it we're going to basically tell you that this is something that will make your life better right that's a that's a fabulous experience at an alta beauty or sure yeah but i mean but but look uh you know how you define that right you go to uh amazon uh at the time that one of the pain points in order in line was you know the uh how much it was it will cost you to actually get your stuff and they created the largest frequent flyer program in the history of mankind with Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. And they keep on tweaking it and keep on doing a bunch of stuff with Amazon Prime. Now they have baby, I mean, the son of Amazon Prime and the daughter of Amazon Prime and Amazon Fresh and all that stuff. But they continue to tell people, this is better for you. Your example of we're going to personalize it and all that stuff is exactly the same thing. Now, one, you have mega, mega mass. And then the other one, you have kind of less consumption, less frequency. You also have to look at your frequencies, right? I mean, Amazon, when you look at the Amazon experience, the frequency of consumption, once you agglomerate all of the uh, consumption occasions, makes it probably every hour. You know, know that beauty, I mean, you probably cannot sell somebody a new product, you know, every day. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the consumption cycles are different but I think that you can actually personalize the thing by telling people, by the way, this is good for you. Look, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Hertz Number One Club. When Hertz Number One Club came about, I don't know how many years or a hundred years ago. Or Hertz Gold or whatever. Well, no, but by the way, just to, just to prove your point, I'm actually purchasing a present for my fiance for Christmas on Amazon while you're talking. Those of you that are on YouTube well, can see that. So I'm not lying. It, they make it too easy. So Hertz, well, Hertz Gold, love it. Hertz number one club, you know, they had a problem. Remember in the old days, you know, yep. when, uh, we used to go to the airport and there was a clerk that had yep. a box of keys. And a line. And then you actually had to go to the thing and you had to wait and wait a minute, your car is not ready. They figured out they had a problem. And mm-hmm. the problem was that they, you know, they had a logistics problem. So they figured out that, you know, they needed to align. And when you deliver your car back, they were going to clean it up, put it in the lot and assign it to the next person that was going to rent it. Me, okay. So then they created her number one club, mm-hmm. and the premise of her number one club was we're gonna have the car ready when you get there, as opposed to what? I mean, who said that we needed to wait, you know, for two and a half hours? <laughs> exactly. And exactly. Around, right? Low standards. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, they came out with her number one club. They charged nineteen ninety five at the time and waived it. Okay. So it created a need. And they converted thing, and you know they got copied. Emerald Isle is another one that actually has done in the. They've all copied them, and, and quite frankly, people have copied Amazon. So, so rather than the Alta Amazon um, comparison, how does Walmart really win against Amazon? They're trying, but they're nowhere close to uh, well no, clo- closing I mean, that gap because because it, it fixes your volume problem. I can order from them constantly if I wanted to. Well, go go to the core essence of the of, of the brand, okay. Yeah. Uh, Walmart, as we said before, I, I used to say that a number one competitor to Walmart was the price of gas. Because if people <laughs> didn't go to the store, they yeah. didn't walk around the store and they didn't do the input shopping, then they, they had trouble. So Amazon, when I was on the board of the Gap, Amazon hired the head of Banana Republic to go deliver, I mean, that's a long time ago, that's probably 2000, to yeah. go deliver a uh, 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 online system. It never worked. Even today, when you try to buy Amazon online, they don't believe in it, you know? And when you go to the store, you actually, if you order online and you want to go pick it up at the store, 
they can give it to you outside, but you gotta wait for 40 minutes. Or if you go inside, the will call cur uh, thing is all the way in the back of your store. So you gotta walk You're talking about Walmart. Yeah. yeah, they still don't believe. So, so they have accelerated that. Um, during COVID, they had a trial program going on and they've accelerated. So actually Walmart pickup, they've got that down now. That, that's been fixed. But they, um, the ease of use it compared to online, just getting people to buy repetitively, um, you know, it's still, still got some, some ways to go there. And, it's a, and sometimes it's a different target audience. But the, uh, you know, the comparative shopping you can do to a Walmart, a Best Buy, I just did it this morning, um, and an Amazon to buy a new uh, piece of equipment for this podcast, which I did this morning. It's just too easy. We've got three screens up. It's not about price, but who can get it? Same, you know, who can get it here quicker? And maybe do some some install um, work. Um, how do you win in that digital marketing mess where there is total transparency, price matching? Um, is it is it all about loyalty at that point between those huh. three? Let's say Best Buy and Amazon and a Walmart, same product. I think that you, you got to keep on throwing stuff at the consumer, which is additional to what the product is. I mean, you're a golfer, I'm a golfer. I mean, I subscribe to ten, you know, online golfing companies, and then they give you the, mm -hmm. you know, two dollars shipping, uh, or you know, uh, you know, we're gonna. I mean, we have the Christmas thing, or we have, and they keep on actually coming up with offers. It's like the old toys in the cereal box. Uh, yeah. You got to keep on bringing something new oh, in order boy. to differentiate yourself. You Gen X, Y, Z people don't know what that is, but they used to put toys in the cereal <laughs> box. I remember those. And the surprise inside, Seth Godin made a big uh, book about that as well, about, you know, kind of, that's when surprise and delight became like the buzzwords. And uh, yeah, good you point. Know, there, is no, um, there is no momentum. Loyalty is perishable, you know? Uh, and I think that people, I mean, I think that it's, also, it's is, also tangible though. It's, it's just, it you've got to keep it up. But it's perishable. And if you don't, if you, if you don't nurture it, if you don't feed it, eventually yeah. it goes like, I mean, like, I mean, that's like the day, the expiration date on, on a carton of milk, it goes away, you know? It does? I'm kidding. Um, the, <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> so you think personalization is a hot topic. What about, uh, what about all this buzz about uh, meta worlds? I personally, I've been doing 3D worlds and games for years. I mean, I actually run a couple of companies that we sold that did it. And to me, it's it's been coming for 20 years. So what uh, what's your latest thought here in 2022 about what's going on? Uh, just because Facebook changes its name to Meta, does that mean everyone's going to be buying in these 3D worlds? No, look, I, I, uh, I think that we have now a, uh, a massive production of stuff okay, that comes on top. It's a lot easier to do things, to come in and challenge it. And, and it's a lot easier to challenge the status quo when you have something to compare yourself to. And I think we're mm. going to continue to be bombarded with new options and new ways and new, new and improved everything as, as we go through. And I think that that's just the nature of the thing. Yep. Uh, we now have a little supply chain problem, but once that thing is fixed, uh, I think we're going to continue to have product, ideas, entertainment, all kinds of stuff that is going to continue to challenge the existing, this, I mean, just the existing products. Hey, real quick, um, I heard you've been, uh, you know, you're obviously a, a guru consultant on, on, on marketing for CEOs and CMOs and strategy and stuff, but I heard you've been doing some of that for politicians. Um, how, how do you compare the two? 
Well, it's interesting, you know, in politics, you have a due date. In, in uh -huh. business, you don't, right? So in politics, you can always go to the candidate. Remember, mm -hmm. the candidate runs, and then after that, they deliver, uh, they actually develop a hearing problem. They start listening to you. Yeah. And unless you have the data, you agree in advance that the data is what's going to rule, then eventually they don't pay attention to you. You know, uh, I think that you can always claim that you're close to that Tuesday in November. And if they don't pay attention to what you're doing, they're not going to get elected. Sometimes they don't. Look, Romney, when he was running for president, he had a message that was he wanted to, and I was, I was on the kind of the side team or the kind of talking to some of the main consultants. And his message was, this is a referendum on, on Obama. It wasn't. Okay, I mean, people were not interested in having a referendum on Obama, uh, you know, and he spent, he said, I have more money. And I think that the more money he spent telling people that he was going to have a referendum on, on Obama, he was actually going to lose the election. I mean, look at what happened in, in Virginia. Okay. Yeah. Focusing uh, on the focusing on the problem, not the opportunities. There's right. a lot of parallels there to like Burger King and uh, McDonald's. I mean, a lot of times they're just trashing each other versus selling the future. Well, but you're trying to actually make, I mean, at that point in time, what you're trying to do is you're trying to say, you're trying to to, re, to position your competition, which is what politicians do, right? Brolin yep. versus Prime was a way for Burger King to position McDonald's. Exactly. Uh, and that, you know, that worked. I mean, that was a good one. That worked. Sure. But so they worked for Ronald Reagan, where Ronald Reagan said to <laughs> Carter, here you go again, Jimmy. Here you right? go again. Yes. with the past. Yep. So there are some good parallels there. I like that. Uh, we've got about 30 seconds left. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, just a couple quick tips for aspiring CMOs out there. Define the job. Don't go for the title. That is the number one thing. Figure out what it is that you're supposed to deliver and then have metrics that, that prove that you're delivering what you were told to deliver. That and if anybody so tells you that what you've got to do is you've got to kind of grow the brand, look, Grow the business, don't grow the brand. I love it. Words of wisdom. Thanks, Sergio. You've been listening to Sergio Zeman, and this is Dean Tobias with the Reboot Chronicles. We want to thank you for joining us, and we'll see you soon.